going to have a panel uh, where you guys can ask questions related to the topic of worship. And then following that, uh, we're having what we're calling a concert of prayer and praise. Uh, so it's a time of, of continuing in worship through song, but also continuing in worship by praying together uh, as, a, as a family of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what's planned for today. And really what that is, is a kickoff for Sing. And Josiah's been announcing that for, for several weeks now. Uh, and so starting tomorrow night through Thursday night is Sing, uh, the global conference that's being done right here via live stream at our, at our church. Uh, many, many, many of you have signed up. I was informed yesterday that a few people have had to back out. So there are still about 10 or so tickets left for that. Is that still right? 10 tickets? Still 10 tickets or so left for that. So if you've been kind of holding off, wondering, waiting if you're going to do that or not, uh, today is the day to make that decision. Uh, there are 10, 10 tickets left. It's $40 for the ticket. Um, that gives you access. Uh, actually, not just for this week. It gives you access for 90 days, right? Uh, to be able to watch watch those videos. So that'd be a great time this week. Uh, hope you can uh, take advantage of that. Uh, one other announcement that I have is, is in your bulletin, but I just want to point it out to you. It's one of the inserts that are in there, and I hope you take the time to look at all those inserts that are in there. Uh, but one I want to point out is the one that says, Loving Our Community Brainstorming Master List. So if you remember a few weeks ago, we gathered, we had all the boards up here, and a number of us threw out ideas and ways that we can be loving our community with the love of Christ. And it was requested at the end of that meeting that we put together a master list of that, so you guys can be praying about that, looking over that, and thinking about that. Well, here it is. You now have it. It was also emailed out this week. You should have got that in your inbox. If you didn't, uh, let me or Josiah know uh, so we can update the, uh, the email list. Uh, but, but what we're asking that you do with this is, if you are in a growth group, that we're asking all the growth groups, and our growth groups are just our words for small groups, uh, but growth groups are where we connect and, and do life together and uh, focus on ways we can love our community together. Uh, but what we're asking is all the groups, uh, when they meet uh, sometime in the next few weeks, uh, to rank all of these, I don't even know how many are on here, 50, 60 different ideas that are on there, to rank them to the top five, the top five things you think we should do. And then in addition to that, to pick one big, hairy, audacious goal. And you'll find on there, there are, I'm trying to remember, there's four big, hairy, audacious goals that are being proposed. Uh, what, we, what we mean by that is something will only be possible if God chooses to do the impossible through us. And that's what we hope and pray and dream that he would do, right? Often, I think God is offended that our dreams are too small. We do not dream big enough. Uh, and he wants to do great things for his namesake. And he's looking for people who are willing uh, to serve him in that way. If you are not in a growth group, now's a great time to join a growth group, right? Uh, but if you're not able to, work-wise, or whatever that situation might be, then we ask you still do the same thing. Create a rank, a, a list of your top five, then pick a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, and get that back to Josiah or myself uh, by the end of September. Uh, Make sense? Sound good? Uh, this time, I'm going to have Cindy come up. Uh, Cindy's going to explain the new, the new binders for the kids. How can I hold all these and show you guys? There. <laughs> okay, we have binders now for two ages, two through six, and then there's out there for seven through, and I have on 10, but it's actually through 11. Inside you'll find a thing with coloring crayons, an ink pen, and dry erase markers with wipes in it. So on the plastic sheets, we're just asking you to dry erase markers, that way we can reuse these. And it's just different things that kids can do, age appropriate. And in the back are coloring sheets that they can also color and take home with them, okay? And then in front, this is the sermon guide that if you fill out the sermon guide um, and give it back to me, you'll get a prize for filling it out. But also, I, someone gave me a really good idea about um, accumulating some of the things the kids have written on their papers that they're getting out of the sermon and sharing them with the congregation. 
So we're also going to be doing that. So you kids fill it out because you'll be sharing your information with the adults, okay? Did not want to go back in there. <laughs> you have to be talented. Yeah. I'll mention too that when Josiah is done praying, our children are dismissed uh, for Children's Church, and that's grades, or that's ages three year old through six year old. I think this should work. We'll see. I have to hook myself up here. Does this work? Yeah, okay, awesome. Well, before we pray, I was going to just quickly uh, just announce one more thing, which is that first thing, we're going to be setting up after church. So if you, if any of you able-bodied, young, energetic men or women could please help me to move tables, set those up, that'd be awesome. Um, it would just take like five minutes of your time. Um, why don't you open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And let's come before God this morning in prayer together. God, you are a, a mighty, holy God. You are high above the heavens. Your faithfulness is greater um, than stretches beyond the heavens. Um, your love for us, you say, is unsearchable, unmeasurable. Um, we are humbled to be here, to be able to, to worship you this morning. And thank you, God, for who you are, and, and thank you for what you've done for this group of people, um, this church family. We're, uh, we're all people who are uh, were desperate at one point in life. Uh, we needed your help. So thank you for that, for your salvation for us. I also um, know that we're coming into this message this morning in a lot of different places. God, some here are hurting, and I just want to lift them up to you right now. Just please comfort their hearts. Please help, help them to, um, to be encouraged because... Though the pain is real, you are also a real God, and you can help them. Um, Lord, I ask for marriages right now that are struggling, um, where there's been inroads and tension and fighting and um, dishonor. I pray that you'd replace that with honor. Um, Father, I also just think about uh, the hurricanes that are coming in and uh, attacking um, the coast, and it reminds me that sometimes life can be kind of like a hurricane, and it can be overwhelming, and it can just keep battering us and battering us. So I pray for any here today who are feeling just weighed down by life, feeling weak, um, I pray that they would be encouraged this morning in you. Please work in their hearts. Again, remind them that you are a real God, um, the God who controls the storms. Father, I also just think lastly of those who might be suffering from, from physical needs. Um, we just heard recently that Ken uh, Brinks has his cancer back, Father. I just ask for, for him, for all of the people we know with cancer. Tracy, um, I, I just pray for... Uh, um, Andrew and Matthew's dad, Dave, I don't think he's here right now, but um, please be working in all these people who are really suffering underneath physical pain, and it's there all the time. Um, people who are looking death kind of in the face. Um, cancer is a difficult thing, but again, you're the God who's over and controls that. So I just ask for your help for, for these people. Um, and for the rest of us, 
Father, thank you for the chance to be here. Please, again, encourage our hearts, lift our eyes up to you. You are a God who is worthy of our worship. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Andrew asked me to preach on... To, to cast a vision for worship, to define what worship is. So that's essentially like saying, tell everybody here the meaning of life, and you have like 40 minutes, right? <laughs> so worship is everything, right? It's, it's, so, so I struggled a little bit to figure out how I was going to speak this. And also, because many of you here have been worshiping God a lot longer than me, Right? So I'm trying to give you guys a vision for what it means to worship God. And I know that you have been involved in that. You've seen that vision for a lot longer than I have. Probably with a lot more depth than I have. So, so by God's grace, I hope to do this this morning. I hope to cast a vision for worship. And I hope that it will be kind of like, you know when, when a, a younger sibling talks with their older siblings about dad's stories? about all the cool things dad has done. I hope it'll be like that. I hope that um, as I share with you my vision for what worship is, that it'll remind you of, of dad's stories. I hope that this perspective helps you to grow to know dad a little bit more. Okay, so before we get into uh, casting a vision for worship, I first thought we should probably just start by defining worship what worship is, and, and also what worship is not. Because worship is a term we throw around all the time, right? Like, like you guys came here for what? A worship service, right? So what is that? Like, what is worship? That's the question. Well, just two things, just super brief, before we, again, jump into this. Um, two things that I believe worship is not, okay? But I just need to clarify this, because I know people are coming from this position. Okay, so no, number one, worship is obviously not just about singing, right? Worship is not just singing. And I say that because we have this term, right? It's, it's the worship time, right? We got worship and then we have preaching, right? Or the message. Guys, that, that is a misnomer if I've ever heard one, right? How is preaching not worship, right? How is what we do after we leave the service not worship? So we call singing worship as if it's somehow more worshipful, or if that's actually a term that, that we should use to describe singing over and above other things. Does that make sense? So worship is not just singing. And, and secondly, I would also just briefly mention that worship is not about a place. Worship is not limited to a place. And Jesus made that very clear. Many of you grew up with the idea that the church is where you worship God, right? It's a special place of worship. It's God's house, right? Who, is, who here has grown up with this? Okay. Well, Jesus made, made it super clear. Um, and and it's, it's sad that the church kind of didn't teach this for years. But Jesus was clear that he said, from now on, after me, we will no longer worship on this mountain or on that mountain. And what he was referring to was the temple, where people would go, right, to worship God. He said, it's no longer about the place. He says, those who worship me from now on are going to worship me in spirit and in truth, which means what? It means worship is something that needs to happen everywhere. There's no difference between when we're here in the building and when we're at our house and when we're on the road. Zero difference. Worship is not about a place. It's not limited to a place. So what is worship? It's not just singing. It's not just limited to a place. There are many passages in God's word um, that kind of summarize worship. And here's my way of boiling them down for you this morning. I believe that what worship is, is a life that is fully submitted to God. So it's a, like a life held like this. With open hands for God to do what he will do. Let me just give you two examples, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is after Paul has written this long letter about salvation, about all that God has done for us, right? And what does he say? He says, therefore... 
because of all of this. Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as what? Right, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. In other words, what, what God is concerned about, what worship is, is a life given over fully, right? It's a sacrifice. You don't get sacrifices back. Another example is uh, Jesus when he sums up all of the law into one commandment. Do you remember the commandment? It's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. With all of you, right? All of who you are. So the, the modern day poet, Toby Mac, <laughs> puts it this way. He says, and I love this, um, absolutely love this. He says, I was made to love you. I was made to find you. I was made just for you, made to adore you. I was made to love and be loved by you. John Piper, um, who's actually speaking at the conference this week, right? Woo. Thursday night, Thursday night. Um, I always love John Piper when he speaks because it's, he commands your attention. He commands the attention of entire entire room. But this is how John Piper boils it down. He says, God is most glorified. Have you heard this before? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. In other words, the thing that glorifies God most of anything you could do in your entire life is just the simple act of being satisfied in who God is. And I think that is absolutely right. Because what was the greatest commandment, again, that I just said? To love God, right? With your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole soul. So we were made, we were made to worship God. That's what John Piper is saying. We are made to be satisfied in him and then to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. To have all of our affections and our thoughts and our inner longings and our energy, right, our strength, caught up in who he is. Heart, mind, soul, strength. So here's the question. If that's what worship is, what does worship actually like, look like in our life? Does that make so? So, what can we expect to happen if we live that way? If we live a life that is a sacrifice to God, what is that going to be like? Because that's a pretty, pretty intense thing to do, right? Anybody here? Anybody here ever like? Sacrificed your life for somebody in a real situation. I'm really curious. Like a cop? Okay, so we have like one person, right? I'm sure that what it was probably an instinctual thing, a little bit, but hard to do. To jump in front of, of the bullet or to, to run into the building, right? It's not easy to think of ourselves as submitting our life, all of it, right, to God. So here's the question. What does that look like? And I believe that one of the best examples of this, of a life that's fully submitted to God, is a teenager by the name of Mariam. You know her by her English name, which is Mary, right? Um, and we've been talking about Mary for the past couple weeks, so I think this girl can teach us so much about, about worship. I believe we can learn a lot about worship through Mary's life. So why don't we flip over to Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 46. Today we are going to talk about what the fully submitted life looks like. So, what a life submitted to God looks like. So, here's another way that I could summarize what we're going to talk about this morning. It's kind of two things. It's number one, how do we worship? Or what does worship look like? And number two, what should we expect from God if we worship? So, let me say that again. 
It is how do we worship and what should we expect from God if we worship. So the first reality that we see in Mary's life. Are you guys turned there? Okay, Luke chapter 1 verse 46. The first reality we see is that a life fully submitted brings God glory. A life fully submitted brings God glory. Look with me at, at Mary's song here. And, and actually, we're going to pause. I'm, I'm going to just do some review. Right? So, Mary, what's her story? You guys remember it, right? She's this 15-year-old girl. Right? Probably 13 to 15. And she lives in this backwoods town that a lot of people don't even know of. It's called Bethlehem or, or Nazareth. Both tiny towns. She's this, this young teenage girl, and all things considered, she probably didn't ever expect to be much more than that. Right? To be a small country girl from a small country town. She was engaged to be married to a guy named Joseph. And, and Joseph, we don't really know a lot about how that engagement worked, but we do know that in those days, a lot of girls would get married out of necessity. You get to be 15, you find a husband. That's how you take care of yourself. And I don't know if she loved Joseph at first. I don't know how deep their relationship went. I don't know if he was an arranged marriage from their parents. But however you slice the cake, Mary's thinking, probably, I'm going to be in this town, Joseph's husband, uh, Joseph's wife, I'm sorry, for the rest of my life, probably. He's going to do his carpentry. I'm going to take care of a couple kids. I'm going to be around the people I've always known. Probably not a much, much more aspirations than that in her life. But then God comes to her and an angel gives her this message about Jesus. And what does she say? Do you remember? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. She's 15. Right? So, so, so this message by this angel, right, is, sorry, there we go. <laughs> According to, uh, yeah, um, I, my pages stuck together. I was like, that's not the next thing. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, so Mary chooses to submit, right, to submit her life to God. With an open, an open hand. She says, um, God, you can write my story. Um, and again, she's 15. I'm sure, I'm sure that Mary probably had her list of dreams and aspirations about her life. She probably had thoughts about what life was going to be like, right? She was probably had some fears about life. And then this angel gives her this message, but she says that she's going to hold her life with an open hand. She makes the choice to submit her life to God. And by the way, it is a choice, right? It's a choice to do that. Um, Mary recognizes that. Look with me now in our text, verse 46, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. There's, there's a nifty thing here. Okay, I'm going to go Greek on you guys. There's a little nifty thing about the Greek language, and that is that when you say something, if you give a verb, an action, you can tag an ending onto that word to kind of describe the way the action is being looked at. Does that make sense? Okay, so in English, we just do this by adding more words. But Greek, they kind of cut, you know, the middleman out, just put an ending on it, right? So, so there is a word that Mary could have used to, to magnify God that, that just refers to the simple state of, of that, right? My soul magnifies God. Simple statement. She doesn't use that. She doesn't use that form of the word magnify. She adds an ending which, which emphasizes this, that she is looking at this as an ongoing process, a continual action. So in English, maybe I would say, my soul is going about magnifying the Lord. Does that make sense? It's not just a one-time action. And so Mary's acknowledging here that worship is a daily choice. 
So if you're taking notes, that's my that's first point. Underneath, a life submitted brings God glory, and it's that that worship is a daily choice. We don't um, glorifying God isn't a one and done thing. We don't glorify God just by saying we want to one day, right? Um, and it's not even really a daily decision, is it? I use the word daily choice. It's a moment-by-moment moment choice, right? Like, you don't wake up in the morning and have time with God and his word and then automatically glorify God the whole day. Right? And you certainly can't come to church on Sunday and then automatically glorify God the rest of the week. And you certainly will not and cannot glorify God just on the basis of the fact that you are a Christian. Worship is a choice. Right? Giving God glory is a choice. So let's pause here because, like, if we could actually get there, where we are seeking God's glory, and we are open and willing, we have our, our hands open to God, God can do great things through that. Like, Mary's just one story, right, of one teenager but what does God do in her life when she makes that decision to willingly submit? He writes her story into scripture. He impacts, he, she raises Jesus. She raises the king of kings. Now, I don't think there's a limit to what God can do if we are willing to submit to him. I mean, 15 years old or 10 or five, or 55. If we're willing to hold our life with an open hand, imagine if we all, all the people in this room, live that way. What God would do through us. If we said, just God, I want you to lead me. I want you to take me where I should go. I want, show me what to do this week. Show me what to do today. If there's something that you don't want me to do, that I'm wanting to do. Just take it away from me. I don't need it. I want to do what you want. What if we live like that? 150 people. What God could, what would he do? So again, that's, that's what we're created to do, right? That's what we are made to do. And that, so Mary's doing what she was created to do here. But notice, notice there's also joy. Look with me at verse 47. It's what she was created to do, but there is also joy. Verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So there is joy, even in the midst of, a, of Mary's difficult situation, right? Difficult situation. There's joy in the middle of the my parents won't believe me, and my friends will judge me, and I'll be known as the girl who had no self-control. Right? In the midst of all of that, she has joy in her heart. In the midst of um, her, her tumultuous circumstances that would not make sense to most of the people in her life. She had joy. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of us want that. Right? Like, we want joy that's not tied to our circumstances. <laughs> right? Because our circumstances are like, at best. <laughs> um, we want to get to where Mary got. Right? We want to see God work in and through us, and we want to feel joy. But if we're honest, that's elusive sometimes. Joy. Sometimes it's really hard to feel joy. Anybody recognize that? And there's different reasons for that. I mean, sometimes we're going through our, our entire day, we're not even thinking about like God or joy, right? We just are just trying to get through our day. We're kind of too busy. I mean, how many of us here could say that this week, that you spent your week thinking about uh, or asking God to lead you and, and to direct your steps. 
and that you offered your life to him this week? And how many of you could say that you focused on your joy this week and that you were joyful, had a joyful spirit this week? Right? So it's, sometimes we're just very distracted, and I'm 100% there with you guys. It, it's hard to feel joy sometimes, um, but sometimes it's, it's that we also go through seasons of life where joy is far off and where there's a lot of hurt. There's more hurt than there is joy. So when you, for example, when you invest your life somewhere at a business and you pour yourself into that work and then you leave and the next guy, what does he do? Tanks the whole thing. Anybody ever been there? Or how about when you pray for somebody you love over and over and over again and nothing happens and they just keep making terrible decisions and destroying their life? What about when you get sick? And you get so weak that you can't serve God in the ways that you want to serve him. What about when a loved one walks out on you or betrays you? So how can Mary, during a tumultuous time in her life, a, a time where her whole reality is being flipped on its head, everything you thought, well, it's different now because you're going to have God as your son, you're going to have the Messiah as your son. How does she have a joy-filled spirit? Because if I can have it, I want it. <laughs> I want to have what Mary had. So that leads us to point number two. So number one, worship is a choice. Number two, but worship is fueled by the gospel. So, worship is a choice, a daily choice, but worship can only be effectively fueled by the gospel. Okay, look at verse 48. Because Mary gives her reason for her joy, and her reason for, even for the first thing she says of magnifying God. She says, I'm magnifying God, I have joy, here is why. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. What does it mean to be humble? I'm actually asking that. What does it mean to be humble? This is important for worship, by the way. <laughs> what do you guys think? What does it mean to be humble? Okay, so maybe there's part of it where it's, it's I'm not taking credit for things. I think that's semi-true, but I also think that God is humble. And God takes credit for stuff too, right? So I don't think it's just the, I think that's part of it, but I don't think it's just like saying, I don't, I don't deserve credit, I don't deserve credit. Because God is humble and he deserves credit and he says that he does, right? So what, is, what else is humility? Yeah, yeah, wait. Okay, I think it's really closely connected to grace. I think grace humbles us. Because what does grace say? To us. It says we're in need, right? God has to give us something that we don't have. Okay, so here's a basic definition of, of humility. The word itself just means low. Humble just means low. But an accurate, pers um, an accurate definition might be this. Humility is having an accurate perspective of who you are and who God is. Right? And isn't that what the gospel shows us? The gospel shows us that we are in need of God's daily grace. Like we are weak. Right? We've all fallen, many of us, into the same traps. Right? We're all undeserving. But God saw us. So look with me again at verse 48. Right? Mary says this. He has looked on, he has seen the humble state of his servant. Christ, while we were yet sinners, died for us. He saw our humble state. So, because of that, we don't have to work our fingers to the bone to prove ourselves 
to anyone. We don't have to, to get acceptance because we have it, right? We have acceptance and the love of the only one whose opinion really counts. So you might be thinking this now, because I'm, I'm saying worship can only be fueled by the gospel, okay? That's the point. You might be thinking this, if you're tracking with me. Okay, but isn't this before Jesus started preaching the gospel? And isn't this before Jesus died? So Mary, how did, like you're saying Mary had her worship fueled by the gospel, but this is before Jesus ever even was born and before the gospel even was preached. So what, is, what do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you, she did not know probably what Jesus was going to have to go through and what Jesus was going to do for us, right? She didn't have that in mind. However, she did know that he was the promised one who would save her. And look back just in verse 47, right? What does she say? She says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In other words, in this promise God has given me that I'm going to have this son, I will be saved through this. So let me just read through the rest of this song. Mary says, For he has looked on, he's seen the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. This song rings of the gospel. It rings of it. It's a song of a holy God, right? She calls God holy. She says holy is his name. It's the song of a holy God who reached down and showed mercy to a girl, to a real person, a real girl who needed it. Let me say that again. This, this is a song of a holy God who reached down and showed mercy to a real person who needed saving. And that leads us to point number three. So we're talking right now about um, how to worship, right? That's kind of the, the, the topic here. So worship is a choice. It's a choice that is only able to be fueled by the gospel. But worship is also at its heart being real. Worship is at its heart being real about ourselves and real about God. So that's where the message title comes in, if you see it, saw it in the notes in your bulletin. It's, worship is being real about ourselves and real about God, okay? So, so kids are funny. <laughs> um, we, we spend most of our lives, to tell me if I'm wrong, we spend most of our lives trying to make people think we're a certain way. Or trying to be some sort of external thing for other people. Am I right? Now, kids are funny because they're just, they're bad at it. <laughs> so, right? Like, have you ever overheard a conversation with two kids? Like, um, they're standing, let's say they're like playing, they're swimming in a pool together. And they got the little floaties on their arms. And they get out of the pool and they're standing at the, the deep end. And they're, the one kid's looking across the pool and he turns to his friend and he says, I can jump this pool. Right? And his friend says, no, you can't. You can't jump this pool. It's like, oh, yes, I can. I jumped it yesterday with my feet tied together. Right? <laughs> Have you ever heard these conversations, right? And here's the thing. Or, or you'll say something like, I can run faster than a cheetah. It's like, his, and his friend is like, wait, can he actually run faster than a cheetah? So then he says, what? Well, prove it, right? He's like, well, there's no cheetah, so I can't prove it. 
right? And here's the thing. You know, you know that you can't run faster than a cheetah. You just want your friend to think you can. Right? <laughs> so this is the thing, right? Most of us live that way. Now, we've become good at it because we're adults. <laughs> we're good at doing this now, right? What we're good at doing is highlighting the really good things about ourselves and then kind of skipping over the bad and the ugly, right? Kind of presenting this image in front of people, right? And that's tiring, isn't it? That's exhausting. <laughs> Um, trying to act like something we're not, trying to be put together in front of people, like trying to act like, for example, we can plan our life and make it happen. When who is really the author? God. It's like we, we have no coming tomorrow. So this whole, I have a 30-year plan at my business, and it's going to happen this way, and I'm going to fight for it, and um, it's because I'm a forward thinker. It's like you have no idea what tomorrow's gonna bring. Right? It's exhausting. Trying to be something that we're not, trying to like hold the pieces together lest someone knows that I'm actually or smart. <laughs> um, lest they find out that I sometimes And by the way, that is why worship can only be fueled by the gospel. Because the gospel has the power to give us joy even when we fail. The gospel has the power to give us hope even in dark times when there's no hope in sight. Okay, so that is what the submitted life looks like. Worship. Okay, that was how we worship. What should we expect from God if and when we worship? A life fully submitted brings us blessing. Look with me at verse 48. Mary says, For behold, or see, that word can be translated fully satisfied, opposite of what we normally think. Okay? So we need to just briefly mention this. Because here's what we normally do with life, right? Generally, when we think of God's blessing... It is, there's a list of conditions that I will make, right? I will give this list to God. If, if, and if I do what God wants me to do, if I check off those, however many boxes there are, if it's just go to church or if it's like 600 things, if I check them off, then God will bless me. And what we mean is, well, God will then sign off on what I want. He'll give me all of my dreams. I'll have a beautiful, carefree life. This is called the prosperity gospel. It is taught all across America. So we have to mention this. Okay? So, so here's the illustration. Okay? In that scenario, what I'm doing is I'm writing out a contract. Here's the things I want, God. I want to get married to a young girl I, like who sings and plays music and... <laughs> And, right, well, we, we add our list up and we say, well, God, if, if, I, if I serve you, could you please bless me, right? Could you please do these things that I'm wanting, right? And then we hand God the document to sign it. We give it to him, we give him the pen and say, please sign off on this. Do I need to add stuff to my list? Because if I, if I add a couple more points, maybe then you'll bless me? Guys, that's the opposite. What we're talking about here is you sign the bottom of a blank piece of paper and you hand it to God. Fill my life the way you want to fill it. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Right? So if God, if you give God the page, be blessed. Most heavily blessed. But it's not because all of your dreams will come true. It's because God has better dreams. It's not because life will be easy from there on out. God says very specifically, it will not. Right? You will be blessed because ultimately you will find true fullness of joy in him. This. 
It, because I was thinking about, like, am I actually doing this? Am I living this? You know, it takes humility to say, God, fill my life with whatever. whatever. Like, take me wherever you want to take me. Do whatever you want to do in my heart. It takes humility. That's not easy, right? So here's the question. What does this blessing actually look like that we can expect from God? Because Mary said that she's going to be referred now as blessed for the rest of her life, that she's going to be blessed. What does she mean by that? What does it mean when God says, blessed are those who are humble or meek? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by the fact that you're going to be happy and blessed? What is, what is that talking about? Well, I'm just going to give you three quick ways that I, th- I think we end up being blessed when we worship. If we choose to live that open-handed, submitted life, God will bless us. And this is how I see that happening. Okay, number one, and this ties into what we've already been talking about, worship humbles us. Write that down. Worship humbles us. And it is in being humbled that God is then able to use us. Right? It's in being broken down that we're able to then be used effectively. First Peter 5, for example, God says, he says, God resists the proud, right? But he gives what? Grace to the humble. Another verse, James, humble yourself, therefore, underneath God's hand, and he will do what? He will lift you up, right? Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. Look at, look at Mary's song with me about this. Starting in verse 51. Look, look at how she's describing this. He has shown strength with his arm. Again, we want to be there, right? We want God to be strong in us and through us. We want to be used by him in amazing ways. Okay? He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. But he has brought, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he has exalted those of humble estate. And the rich, he has, or he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So again, what is this saying? If you want God to be magnified in your life, and visible, and working, if you want to see God do things, right? It's not going to happen if you're not humble. If you're not actually willing to have your hand like this open to what God would do. A proud heart is kind of like, like a hard sock. I, I, this just popped in my head. Right? Where it gets like, have you ever had that happen when you leave it on the floor for like three months? <laughs> you know, like it's underneath the washing machine. You pull it out and it's like a rock. Right? You can't wear it. You can't do anything with it. And I, I was trying to think of a better example, but I couldn't. <laughs> but if you're not flexible, if you're not willing to be used by God, how is he, what is, is he, he's not going to use you. I mean, he might use you for a purpose you don't want to be used for, <laughs> which is being glorified when he brings you down from your throne <laughs> and brings you back to reality. <laughs> Um, so that's number one, worship humbles us. And that is, a, that is the means by which God blesses us, is when we're humble. Chuck, I've got your back. <laughs> Chuck, uh, if you don't know him, he's one of our deacons, but he talks about humility all the time, and I think it's because he thinks that is the pinnacle virtue. If you're humble, everything else can happen. Okay? So number one, worship humbles us. That's part of the blessing. Number two, worship is the pathway to true joy. Worship is the pathway to true joy. 
I think what's holding us back in like worshiping God is the idea, and actually doing it in the way I'm describing it, like sacrificing my life for him, is the idea that we think that's going to be so burdensome. Right? Like at the very least, it's going to be hard and kind of unpleasant. Right? Like, and, and God might, he might like break both my legs and make me play flute. I'm not downing flute players <laughs> like Rebecca. <laughs> That's just what popped into my head. Okay, so like, <laughs> see, this is an example of somebody. <laughs> um, so, right, we think it'll be burdensome. That's what I was trying to say. I just lost my train of thought. That happens sometimes. Um, so this is the thing. Will it be burdensome to worship God? Question. Will it be a burden? Will it be heavy to live a life sacrifice? Will it feel miserable? Well, Jesus actually said it won't. He said, if you remember in, in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, those who do feel burdens, right? And, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So how can that be true? How can God's, how can being a sacrifice and living submitted be light and easy? Well, here's how. It's because, again, we were made to worship. We were made to need him. We were made to be directed by him. If we're, if we're writing our own story, we are, we are broken. We're not functioning with the power that we're supposed to, to have. It's like you took the batteries out. Right? We're made to worship. We're made to need him. According to God's word, there is a hunger in your soul that only he can satisfy. And if you try to fill it with, like, well, with anything other than him, you will end up just feeling more hungry at the end of the day. I mean, you could really, really, it's, it's kind of like uh, cheese puffs. Have you ever had those? <laughs> right? Have you ever gotten to the bottom of a bag of those and been like, how do I still want another bag of cheese puffs? <laughs> like, I just ate that whole thing. Right? And why is that? It's because there's nothing in a cheese puff. It is, it is a packing peanut with powder on it. <laughs> right? And, and so what you're, you're not filling yourself with anything. You're just tricking your body into thinking you're full. And that's what we do. And contrast that picture with what Jesus says in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never hunger again. And whoever believes in me will never thirst again. The psalmist puts it this way. He says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forever. Pleasures forevermore. C.S. Lewis, who I love, says it this way. Um, he says, if I find myself, and this is kind of an extended quote, so just hang with me. If I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is somehow a fraud. But, probably, that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it. But only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. But on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or mirage. I must keep alive in myself 
the desire for my true country, which I will not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed in or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Again, guys, if I think like if we can get there, if we can get to the place where our life is submitted and God is our one objective, how did he say it? My main objective of life to press on towards knowing Christ, towards that country. If I could get there, what would God do through me or through you? And that, that leads us to our final point, which is this. If we worship, we can expect that God will do great things. Jump back to verse 49. Mary says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God promises to do great things in us, by the way. I was just going through Ephesians with our youth group, okay? That's, that's what we've been studying. Ephesians is filled with promises that God will do great things, like over and over again. So, for example, um, he will use us to build his church until they look like him, they, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants to use us to build his kingdom. Amen? He says, uh, chapter 2, he said, I have good works already set up for you to do. Like, they're, they're just waiting there. The hammer's just like waiting there with a pile of nails. You just have to walk up and do it. He's given us good works to do. He said in Romans, all things work together for good, right? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called. In other words, he wants to use our story. He wants our life to be used by him. And he has good plan for us. Orangeville, we serve a real God. We worship a God who always comes through. We worship a God who does great things. So let's apply that a little bit. How do we respond to this? Okay, I have a couple questions. Just two, actually, if I'm right. Yep, just two questions. First one is for those of you who might be here hurting right now, and you're in a difficult spot, okay? And everybody else, you can listen in on this because you might be there tomorrow or a week from now. So this hopefully will be good for all of us. So question, has it been hard to worship lately? Um, are you missing joy? Here's an important reminder. For you. God does promise good things for his children. And for all of us, right? For all those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All of us. All things work together for good. He promises that. However, we do not always see that good. He does not promise to always that we will always see what that good is. I've been there. I've been in the place in periods of my life where I said, God, just please end it. I don't understand how me not being able to think straight and going nights without sleep and failing college and not knowing if this will ever change, I don't see how that is good things. I don't see how that's very great. I've been there where you don't see what God is doing. But here's what I want to offer as kind of hope to, to you in that if that's where you are, 
I want you to hear, and this sometimes is hard to hear, but that often what God is doing there is he's actually helping you to become what we're talking about today. He's helping you get to the point where you're actually willing to let him do whatever you would want with your life. So, for example, my family, um, some of you know we have chronic health needs. And my sister has been friends to girls who have died, who are her age, 15. And they've made month-long stays in the hospital in terrible pain. This poor guy right here, he had a whole like week of hiccups after his surgery where it was like, every time he hiccuped, it was like, you could tell, it was like grimace, grimacing for days and days, right? So, so we've been in that point where we're like, God, what, what are you doing? I don't understand how making us crippled helps us serve you. I don't get that. But now, I was just talking to my mom the other night, and she knows why, at least part of the reason. But she didn't see it for years. God is now using my mom and my sister to come alongside families in those hospitals. And guess what? How do you get into those hospitals to work alongside them? You got to be there. With, you got to be there yourself. Like You can't go visit people multiple times a year in a hospital across the country without being there yourself. And so God has this good in, in, and what he was doing for years was getting us to the point. My mom would have never signed up, at least I don't think so, to voluntarily go through what she's going through in a, and be in the hospital all the time and have her girls in pain regularly. She wouldn't have chosen that as a 10, 20-year-old. But God was humbling us and he was making us into a person who would be willing then to go through that. Now, now she has joy. Okay, so that's number one. Now for all of us. Are you letting God write your story? When we choose to write our own story, like what I described, where we try to make ourselves out to be something cool and different and try to look on the surface like everything's put together, we're actually believing, kind of caught up in two lies. The first one is we're not being real about who God is. Right? Because if I'm writing my own story, what am I saying about God? I'm say, well, at the very least, I'm saying he's not the author anymore. Maybe he's, he's an editor who kind of like tweaks what we do. I'm, 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 if I'm writing my own story, if that's my goal, then I am I'm saying that God is not who God is, who God says he is. But I'm also, that's the first lie, I'm also believing a second one. And that's about who? It's about me, right? Because I'm ignoring the reality that I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And I'm ignoring the fact that I owe my life, everything, to him. That I'm nothing without God. So if I set up my autonomous workshop to create the life that I want for myself... I'm not just ignoring who God is. I'm actually ignoring who I am. Because the gospel says I'm in need of God's help and grace. That I am not a person who's got everything put together. So here's the question. Are you a real person? A genuine person? Honest about yourself? Who worships a real God? If we all got there, if we opened our hand, just imagine, just dream with me for a second what God might do. Let's pray.
God, I know there's a lot there that uh, that I a lot a lot said, and I know that um, I said it pretty tiredly. Um, but I just ask that you'd really drive it home in our hearts right now. God, I just I just desperately want to see a group of people who realize it, not not just who submits themselves to God, Father, like people around the world are killing each other and themselves in the name of submitting to you. Um, I, I, Islam does that. Hinduism does that. God, I'm not just saying let's go out and just start to check off boxes. And, and you, would, you would not want that if we did it. So I'm asking, God, that you'd help us to see more than that, that we'd see a vision for worshiping you, that we'd see you as the good God, that we'd see you as the one we can trust with our story, that we'd be willing to lay down our life, not because it's some heroic ambition, but because it's what brings you glory and it's what will bring us joy. And I ask that we just run after you. Um, I think, Father, about all of these uh, community outreach events that we're thinking about now, planning. And as a, there's a lot that we're thinking about trying to do. We don't want to do any of it without you, without you in it. And, and we want to, to know, convict, convict us that what we're doing is what you want. God, if, if, if you have to take away all 60 of those things from that list of brainstorming things because they're not the right things and you have something better, then please take it all and just give us what you want us to, to do. And I just ask the same for each person here. I pray that we'd go home, um, that you'd be working in each of our hearts and that we'd sit down and think about what is what am I not willing to let go of? What has got me so gripped that I can't, I can't see past it. Um, and I pray, God, just for a bunch of open hands today that are just willing to follow and, be, and to be led by you. So thank you, God, for this church, for this service, for a chance to worship you. Um, I um, pray all of this, Father, because you are a good God who does great things. And we look to you. Amen.